All right, by the time we post this, the whole hullabaloo, you've probably completely forgotten about it. But we are just a few days uh, outside of the eclipse. Uh, and um, apparently it caused $700 million in productivity damage. Lost productivity. Yeah, but it is a uh, $700 million show. And can yeah. we just appreciate both the sun and the moon for cooperating to put on such a great event? Working together. Working together. Hashtag so, teamwork. Sacrifice a goat, have a witch orgy, whatever you do to worship them. Uh, here's to the sun and the moon and cooperation. Yay. Hey, everybody. I'm Caleb. I'm Spencer. And this is the Mix Six, where we drink six beers and rate them on a five-point scale over roughly a two-hour period of time and cause you to do complex math. Um, actually, we just we just talk, and the beer is no more than an excuse for that. Uh, so thank you for joining us. We really appreciate having you here, whether you're part of our wonderful patron crew or whether you're just listening for free. We really appreciate the time and consideration. It's super um, cool. It is super cool. Uh, so we typically have a rating system. Spencer, you did this one for us, and you really sabotaged I me did here. really sabotage you, and, and that wasn't purposeful, but I'm happy with the effect. So as you know, if you've listened to any of our other episodes, we rate all of our beers on a five-point scale. A one is a beer that's changed your life in the worst ways and a beer that you don't want to have again. A Five is a beer that's changed your life in the right ways, and it might be one of your most favoritest beers. And so today, for our rating system, <clears throat> we'll be using Harry Potter books. I want to make one thing clear. I'm only talking about the original seven. I have no interest in talking about the Cursed Child. Well, you're only talking about five of the seven. I'm only talking about five, yeah. yeah. Only drawn from the original seven, not the eighth or any of the other side books. Or We're not even considered. Or the three additional books that are to come out in the future, apparently. I want no part of that other shit, okay? <laughs> so here's our system for today. A one, a beer that has negatively affected your life in really meaningful and bad ways is going to be The Order of the Phoenix, which is book five in the Harry Potter series. Look, The Order of the Phoenix, by all accounts, isn't an awful book, but it's the worst of the lot for me, and it's the only one that I never finished reading. We never claimed this wasn't a relativistic system. That's right, because I just got bored, okay? So if there is a beer that's just so meh today that we don't want to even finish drinking it, then it's an Order of the Phoenix, all right? A two, so it's a little bit better, still not good. You could probably choke it down if you needed to. You certainly don't mind to finish it because it's alcohol, is The Chamber of Secrets. Both The Chamber of Secrets, which is the second book, and the second film, um, and The Order of Phoenix are below average for me in an otherwise exceptional universe of books. And I say that knowing that they're still totally fine. A three, the run-of-the-mill standard bearer for beers, the beer, the, the beer or book that you would just turn to in this instance as an exemplar of, here, drink this, you'll be fine, is the Sorcerer's Stone. It's the first in the Harry Potter line or the Philosopher's Stone for you UK folks. Uh, and it's fucking phenomenal. I don't remember uh, ever in my whole life probably reading a book. I think I got it at the Scholastic Book Fair. Reading it in a day and going back to the Scholastic Book Fair the next day and getting the second one. Like, just pee my pants excited about reading more Harry Potter after that. Now we're into the, the, the high marks, right? These are the things that would get you points for your house, as it were, you Harry Potter fans of the world. A four in our rating system is The Half-Blood Prince, which is book six. And in The Half-Blood Prince, we both get a pretty well-written, fairly dark, and a lot of explosive secrets uncovered in the Harry Potter universe that totally changed the nature of the game. And then finally, a five, the most perfect beer you've ever had, uh, or in this case, the book, which really changed reading for you, or at least for me, is The Goblet of Fire. And that's 
book four. I know that this is not a popular opinion. I look forward to the social media hate. A lot of people don't love the Goblet of Fire. Look, here's the fucking deal. J.K. Rowling made a wizard universe and then said, what if we had a big fucking tournament about being wizards? <laughs> that, for me, is peak fiction, okay? And I absolutely love the Goblet of Fire. Hopefully, we'll love some, too, today as well. With that, we're going to grab some beers. We'll be back on the other side for our first segment, Dissecting Our Fun. Caleb, using this, what I think is probably a brilliant rating system based on books that you haven't read. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> Outed. Uh, what are you drinking? Could you le- le- like get halfway through the episode before the angry comments nope. come rolling in? If you don't want to get shit on for not having read Harry Potter, read Harry Potter. That's how I feel about that. <laughs> so anyways, what, what, uh, what beer are you evaluating given the scale that you don't understand in the least? Uh, I am drinking the Sung King Breweries Dragon's Delight which is a Belgian-style golden ale. This uh, was the Gen Con 50 official beer. Um, every year, Sun King Brewing does a special brew just for Gen Con participants. So. Which is super cool. Yeah, and this is the first year I've actually tried it. Like every other, Well, no, I think I've tried a couple of the other, maybe two or three of them. But this is the first year I've actually gone out to get cans of it because you have to walk a mile away from the convention nope, center nope, not doing that. to go to the brewing because you can't actually get the cans at the beer garden. That seems ridiculous. Well, you can, but they open them for you. That's so you stupid, can't, too. Yeah. So uh, well, this is uh, yeah. this is where everyone on the podcast comes to hate me because like yeah. thanks for walking a mile right. yeah and taking uh, yeah spending sixty bucks on the beer ten <clears throat> bucks on a lift back okay. almost, anyway you just really just yeah it's like yeah. A, it's like a I think it's a three but it's like know. a chamber of secrets and it's, it's a two it's low yeah. it's like a low chamber so all right it tastes yeah. kind of like flat to be fair coke. I did have to bring the, bring this all the way back you know on the highway so it wasn't cool to yeah it may time. not have aged well in transport yeah. sure. so we'll Let's give it to that. that it's not a good sun king but it it tastes a little like flat coke right we also right. we also want to take ten seconds and just kind of celebrate all of the beer that we got at Gen Con though whether we yeah. like it or not so many of you were cool enough to bring us things to beer is always worthy of celebrating and that's quantity yeah fucking a people that's the coolest thing. Special shout-out to Micah, who drove all the way from Seattle uh, to Gen Con and then gave me a bunch of beer from uh, Scuttlebutt Brewing and uh, some other places. That was wild, dude. Thank you. And then George and Jen, who drew... uh, came out from Providence or right near Providence, Damn. and they brought stuff from a Lovecraft theme brewery. Uh, brewery, that's awesome, uh, yeah. and uh, some other things. So, and then Dan VK, who brought uh, just a wild assortment of things. Uh, that so we'll, cool, yeah. So we have enough for multiple episodes. Yeah, that's the coolest thing. Thank yeah. you so much for doing that. We're going to drink all of that beer and more. Uh, but right now, we're drinking the Sun King Brewing Dragon Delight that Caleb doesn't love. And while we drink that, Caleb, what are we talking about? Uh, we are going to talk about a game that uh, I got to try because of, you know, Patreon and, and friends and coworkers, uh, Laura and Adam mm-hmm. out of D.C. They, yeah. they had me try it called Five Tribes. Right. Uh, it's a Days of Wonder game. A um, little harder to find than other Days of Wonder. It's, it's no small yeah, I'd world. I've seen it before. Yeah. Um, but it is intensely interesting. Um, I was really bad at it the first time I played it. Uh, but uh, it is... Uh, Super interesting. And now it's complex. It's worker placement, basically, with a modular board and tiles. 
multiple wind conditions. Jesus. A dizzying number of wind conditions. Uh, and you are trying to achieve points through a variety of other things. There are gins you can use to get special powers to give you points. Uh, your um, your type of tiles you claim give you points, but the amount of workers on them yeah. give you points. You can also get trade resources, and it's a little like Cargo Noir because there's a wide variety, and the variety of trade resources scores higher than getting a number of the same resource. So you're seeking like the widest variety of resources. Right. But the thing I want to talk about, Five Tribes, it has one of the most interesting movement mechanics For sure. I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and could you talk a little bit about that? Because you've recently played. Yeah, I haven't played sure. since DC. So, so you and Sarah were kind enough to get uh, Brandy Five Tribes for her birthday. We'd not played before. and since That's then, how we do gifts. We give each other games that we would like to own. Right, yeah. And, and then, just and store them in each other's houses. We don't have to own them. Yeah. It's kind of, and then we talk about them on a podcast. Yeah. So kind exactly. of a circle of life, people. Uh, so anyways, um, yeah, so let me set the stage for you a little bit because this movement mechanic is at the core of the distinction, the, the unique selling proposition for Five Tribes, as it were. So imagine this. You've got a modular board as Caleb mentioned, of 30 tiles, right, laid out in a 6 by 5 grid, functionally. And on each of those tiles to start the game, you drop three meeples, and those meeples represent different people that Caleb has mentioned. So they could represent um, builders, they could represent assassins, they could represent elders or viziers. And each of these meeples, and their various categories, have a number of different powers that they allow you to enact. So some of them are worth victory points at the end of the game. Some of them allow you to trade in you can trade in those people to get the resources that you've identified. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them allow you to kill other meeples or take other meeples off the board. But what what makes um, uh, Five Tribes interesting is not just the kind of like insanity of the board setup. And it's not an easy game to set up if I'm being totally honest. There's no. a lot that goes into it. What makes it interesting, though, is that how you move on your turn. So on your turn, you've got one of these tiles to start the game, one of these 30 tiles, each of which has three meeples on it. And in a Mancala-like movement fashion... You will pick up the three of, meeples yeah, on all, that tile, yeah. and then you will move them in straight lines, so you can move them one over, then one down, just not diagonally. Yeah, yeah. You will move that number of meeples, dropping one meeple on each square that you move across. Bleeding out your workers as you move. Yeah. But, but where you drop your last worker is important, because each of those different meeples has a color, which is assigned to their category, assassin, etc., where you drop your last meeple, whatever the color or type of meeple that is, you get to pick up all of the other meeples of that type or color. So you want to drop your blue on a bunch of blues. Yeah, on, yeah. on that last board. And if that clears that tile, if that takes all of the meeples off that tile, you get, you get to then claim that tile. Well, that's important because different tiles have different powers. Yes. Some tiles, all tiles are, are worth some victory points, a varying degree of victory points. Some tiles allow you to add um, other items, temples or trees, to those tiles to make them worth even more victory points. Mm-hmm. Some tiles allow you to get those gen cards, which would give you special abilities functionally. Yes. Um, so the tiles all have their own abilities Markets, as well. That's right. Water. Yeah. yeah. So what you want to do is, as you're building your movement strategy, you're not only figuring out what tiles you would like to take, but you're also figuring out one, two, three turns in advance based on the number of meeples, which are on any given tile, where you want to move things and where you want to end up landing as you're plotting your course throughout this giant, you know, functionally maze of tiles. And it's, it, it's fascinating. I don't know that I've ever seen a movement mechanic that requires more thought uh, oh, yeah. than, than Five Tribes. And here's the thing. When I first played it, I'd never played Mancala before. So mm-hmm. I was playing with Adam, Laura, and Sarah. And correct me, I might have won, which because I remember everyone being pissed off about that. Because sure. my every turn was like, okay, how do I do it? What? Right. what it, 
what? And they're like, yo, you should drop this one. I'm like, I should do what? It was real co-op conundrum because they're basically telling me to play the game. Sure. Which is probably why I won. Um, but <laughs> it was it was wild. And like now that I've learned to play Moncala because I was super embarrassed yeah. being over there. Seems like the right thing to do. Um, and yet you haven't yet read Harry Potter despite okay, your Okay, we're switching the order. We're doing, the, we're doing getting lit, lit yeah. next. Okay. Are we? We're, okay. Yep. We're getting, we're getting right. this out of the fucking Switching way. things on the fly, people. All right. Uh, so anyway... Back to the topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pretty salty. So um, my problem with it was uh, I, I didn't really understand the basic mechanic. But now that I kind of do, like, four-person Mancala is like some four-dimensional chess, like, yeah. Star Wars. Right. Star Trek. Sorry. Multi-platform. Shit, like, multi-platform. Like, trying to anticipate what other people are going to do, the win condition you're going for keeping track of who to drop where because it's not just like dropping the same color guy on the same color tile that's obvious but what order you drop the other colors that you have on the way to there especially if you're dropping like a five or six man crew that's right like are you going to make a bigger win at one condition like dump a bunch of whites on something already has four whites yeah so you can go for it later or do you think somebody's going to go for that or you dump a red on there so like they don't get that target because it's not all white meeples on there well and one of the things you don't want to do is you you know as as you're spreading these are you going to be a spoiler are you going to set yourself up knowing that when you set yourself up other people might take it Right, and as you're spreading these meeples across the board to pick up, you know, certain tiles worth of meeples, you also don't want to be the person that leaves just one meeple on a tile as you're moving, yeah. Because then that's an easy target for someone to come behind you and that's just my land now. the same color yeah. of that meeple on that tile, clean it up, and boom! Now they've got a blank tile that they get to claim. So it really is a a game of chess, trying to figure out what other people are going to do and then plot ahead to either go right at that strategy or to kind of avoid and move around where you think they're kind of setting up shop in the middle or corners of the board. And that's the wild part about it. It would be an interesting game if it was just a game in which you were trying to take over the most tiles. Right. Like, it would be really intense and tactical if it was just like, these are tiles, Right. Take well, them. It would be and smaller. now that they have, yeah, but yeah. now they have varying points, right. and now they have varying powers, and those varying powers count for varying win conditions. And the win conditions alter rules in varying ways, and it's just, whew, it's yeah. an intense strategy game. I it, really like it. I do, too. It's an intense strategy it's game. It's kind of like Tokaido to me, in that like the initiative and movement order is really like the complexity of the game that makes me most interested. Oh, yeah, for sure. I have seen everything else it's doing on the back end a dozen times. Yep. But I've never seen a Mancala-based movement system in a in a board game with a narrative. No, I yeah. haven't either. I, it's shocking to me. Here's what I would say: We've only, Brandy and I have only played it with two people thus far. I imagine at three and four people, the game increases exponentially in difficulty, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm sure that scores drop. Like Brandy and I have been kind of like racking up some outrageous scores because we could just avoid each other largely for great periods of time, mm-hmm. uh, and kind of take our own tiles here and there. I'm sure at four people or even three people, probably you lose that ability. Other thing I would say is plus somebody could go for like an assassin win, right? Like exactly. if you invest heavily in assassins, right. you're you're playing. I don't know if you could win that way. I don't think it's an optimal strategy. No, but if somebody's playing, could certainly play spoiler. But like if evolution, if somebody's playing, fuck you. Yeah, like just every, all everyone's going to feel it. Yeah. yeah. The other thing I would say is um, for for those of you that listen to this podcast, but you don't really listen for the board game stuff, like this is probably not a game I would jump in on. No, if you were planning not to jump a in on any game. of the shit that we've recommended. This would not be at the top. Yeah. The, I think we've probably talked about you know twenty plus games at this point. This would be towards the bottom half of games to get into. Mm-hmm. But if you are an experienced gamer, you really like thinking through the strategy of games, uh, and and you're in for the competition, kind of the direct competition with other players. I think the Five Tribes is an excellent purchase. 
Yeah, it's not Twilight Imperium hard, but it's no, it's it's definitely more advanced. and nothing that I ever recommend will be. I yeah, kind of <laughs> very very that. true. Yeah, yeah. it's um, not even quite Arkham Horror bad, but it is. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it's up there. It's super fun. Um, if you've got a bunch of people who you regularly play games with and they all understand game mechanics pretty well, I think it could be a really fun game. Um, it's not a game to play under the influence. He said, having experienced this, because it's a lot <laughs> harder to keep tra- track of math and yeah. strategy at that point. But you know what? Give it a shot. Um, having said that, really like five tribes for the most part have liked everything i've played from days of wonder good for them for making or producing great games Uh, on that note i'm gonna grab a beer and we'll be back on the other side spencer what are you drinking all right, well, so add this to the, the supercut of names that we're about to butcher. Uh, it's the Trappist West Flaturn. West Vleteran. West, West Vleteran. <laughs> uh, it, it is you got a, any more on you? Yeah, not, not, not This is not from yet. Dan VK. This is from Dan Thank VK. Thank you very yeah, much. This is, this is super cool. Thank you so much, Dan. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it an old go-round right It's apparently right now. made in Belgium. I don't oh. know how he got it. But he brought it a whole box of them, four bottles. Four bottles, mine. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So on the front end, it's a pretty stapical. Ooh, pretty stapical. <laughs> asterisk on that one. Westphalian stuff. Yeah, yeah. Pretty, uh, pretty typical Belgian style. I've had a couple things uh, under the rubric of Trappist. It, it tastes like all of them. I don't love anything about it. I don't hate anything about it. If I'm being totally honest, there's like a little bit of not greatness on the back end it's florally it's got some aroma to it yeah absolutely um it's got some like carbonation on it it feels it feels like it's fizzing a bit it's a three for me it's probably a sorcerer's stone yeah um i wouldn't not drink another one i'd I'd be happy to i'd I'd really be interested to see what it was like not in a bottle let some of that breathe and get Mm -hmm. get some of that kind of like carbonation airiness out of it um it's pretty rich i like yeah yeah so it's a three for yeah. me and again these time. these all have the asterisk that they've traveled quite a distance to get here yeah it's possible that time and space were not kind to of this thing yeah. having said that it's not a bad beer i i'm actually enjoying it i just i don't know that i would run out tomorrow and try to find another another six pack of them or whatever yeah. we got anyways that's what i'm drinking what are we talking about we are talking about and getting lit uh something that you really set me up for it for this whole episode yeah and uh the top three books you haven't read that you're embarrassed to admit you haven't read. Which was, by the way, not suggested by a listener. A no. subtopic you picked. This was me. In the same one, yeah. you picked a Harry Potter rating episode. Right. So this is sabotage. This is, this this is, is, a, is just sabotage. This yeah. is enemy action. I'm, com- I'm just saying. I'm yeah. coming at you is what it yeah. is. Yeah. Right. I feel empowered by my last mix six mock draft win. And now I just want to tear down the Caleb Stokes walls. <laughs> I disagree. Um, uh, yeah, you and the fans, not both. Um, <laughs> but let me tell you where this came from a little bit. So this is, this is reasonably topical for me. This wasn't pulled of thin air. Um, I traveled this week. I was in Brooklyn. And so I had a bunch of plane rides and lots of hours on a plane. And I typically, that's when I do all of my reading um, because I don't do it at home. And uh, so I read, I, I read The Gunslinger. Um, the first book oh, in the yeah. Dark Tower series, which I read when I was like 14 and I didn't remember. So mm-hmm. I thought I should reread that. And it struck me that I don't know that I've, I don't think I've ever read any other Stephen King. I've dabbled in some of it. I've read some pieces of The Shining in it, but I don't know that I've ever made it through a Stephen King novel. Yeah. And that felt really, really gross at 31. <laughs> like I should have read some Stephen King. Yeah. And that got me thinking about what else have I not read that I probably should have read 
And then mm-hmm. we planned an episode the next day, and I thought, oh, well, that would be a lot of fun to talk about. So anyways, it, it appears that both of us have included bonus picks. So we're giving you four, even though we said we were only going to give you a top three, which is weird because we set the rules here, and then we immediately violated those yeah, rules. Yeah, we're not very good at this. Um, so uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and kick it off, if you don't mind. Yeah, I, I want to jump right it. in. I know that, that at various times through the course of this podcast, I've talked about you know that I'm a sci- science fiction fan, that I love science fiction. Mm-hmm. My dissertation was, was largely about science fiction. And yet there are two there are probably two really good picks on my list that are science fiction stalwarts that I've yeah. not touched. And I feel gross about that. So my bonus pick, the one I don't really spend much time on, but I want to be honest about with you, the reader, the listener, uh, I've not read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I've not read any Douglas Adams for that point. And I feel like... A, that's bad because it's canon. B, that's bad because I just think I'd really enjoy all of his stuff. We're just actively trying to lose listeners this episode, aren't we? we? Are, it's yes. just like, yeah, we're making too much money. Outrage! Yeah, let's dip that number yeah. down. This is just, this is my obvious attempt to get people to yell at me about something besides <laughs> s'mores from now on. Yeah, so You're just being inflammatory yeah, at this that's point right. yeah. to change the narrative. Right, like, right. Okay. All, all right, right what's that. your bonus pick? Uh, mine is Dune. Same. I have not read Dune by Frank. Haven't Robert. read it. And you know what? Got to be even more honest. Don't plan on reading it. Yeah, no, me either. Yeah. No real desire to. I've read both of those so far. So, you know, it, it's really good. That's cool, Ross. Both yeah. of them are. All right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Ross is, producer Ross has read everything. Yeah. He's no, no, I've actually, I have embarrassing <laughs> gaps, but you guys continue with <laughs> yeah. your gaps. I will say none of them. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. And let you continue to embarrass must yourself. Must be nice, producer Ross. <laughs> All right, now you know of, of a time to violate our three rule. The one on the most embarrassing topic probably wasn't the time. No, like it we probably wasn't. should have just yes. left the fourth one. Things we like the that most. we explicitly said yeah. out. We're encouraging more ire here. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep that up. And in keeping with this science fiction that I adore and should have read and haven't read theme. Uh, Stranger in a Strange Land. You know, I've read I've read some Heinlein. I've just not read that one. Also, I haven't read it. And it feels weird. Not interested. And here's how I know it belongs on this list. So in preparation for this topic, I Googled 100 best books of all time, and I read a number of lists. And Stranger in a Strange Land shows up on a bunch of them. And the first time I saw it, I go, oh, God, yeah, that one. And then I thought, nope, I don't want people to know that I haven't read that. <laughs> and then I thought, no, that's oh, the reason shit, I should let people know point. I haven't read that. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, I'm just being open and honest about this. I've not read Stranger in a Strange Land. I respect Heinlein immensely. Um, I studied under a guy who is a Heinlein scholar. And he passed Heinlein on to me like a flu, functionally. And I never, I just never did it. And, and I feel bad about it. And hopefully at some point in my life, I will do it. But until then, it's on the not read list, people. Mm-hmm. What's number three for you? Scarlet Letter. No shit. I have tried dozens of times. That's shocking. Like that, or that at some point you wouldn't have been asked to teach the Scarlet Letter. And then- I have been asked multiple times, but there have either been not enough books, not enough time. Or they have forbidden the Scarlet Level letter because it was too sexy. Right. Because um, I live in Missouri where well, Puritans aren't Puritan enough. That's right. Um, so here's the thing. I have tried and I've gotten most of the way through it at least twice. Uh, but while I love Hawthorne short fiction, like I love the I love a lot of his short fiction. And I totally recognize his contribution to American letters. The fucking Custom House, man. Might be the most boring 45 pages ever written on yeah, Earth. It's not great. And I, everyone tells me, just skip it. Well, I didn't read the book then if I skipped 45 pages, right. did I? So right. by God, I'm going to do it. I'm going to muscle through it. And then I don't muscle through yeah. it. I just, ah. Uh. 
God, it's, it's okay. Can't. It's okay. I just can't. I'm Don't sorry. beat yourself up. Well, because because uh, I'm gonna because we're gonna be beat up. I was gonna say other people are gonna do it for you. That's right. We haven't gotten to one yet, and we all no, know what we that haven't. Is. It's gonna be brutal. So number two for me is a book. This is the book that I've probably picked up the most in bookstores with the intention of buying, and then told myself either either at or before the the, the purchase. Yeah, you're not gonna read this, so just put it back. Uh, it's American Gods. I've never read it. Uh, I feel bad for not having read it, and it's not like I haven't read it and I don't want to read it. This this may go down as my eternal shit. I wish I read that book and I haven't read that book yet. And it it always makes its way to like the number two spot on what I'm going to read next, and then it never makes its way to number one. Hmm. And I don't know why. And I feel bad about it. And that's what I have to say. I have read that one at least. So okay, we'll cool, there. great. Yeah. Well, now we all feel bad. So, so have I. okay, listen, producer. <laughs> well, I've I read Hitchhiker's Guide too, but like. I, I, this is fun, so glad we chose this. Uh, what's number two on your list? I got, I, didn't you choose this? Yes, I did. Okay. And I thought, you know what? You fucks. I thought it would be like... I haven't read, I haven't read Stranger to Strange Land. Yeah, I thought it no. would be like a nice bonding moment for all of us. It is. And neither of us read Dune. We got some, we got some stuff. And all, I'm right here, Caleb. All of, us, all of us would be like, oh man, how fun is it that like we run a podcast about nerd things. Some of us, multiple podcasts about nerd things. And yet here we are, bound by these gaps in nerd nerdery and here's producer Ross over here just like lobbing bombs at yeah. people so <laughs> yeah yes cool anyways what's All number right. 2 on your uh, list number 2 is pretty embarrassing i have never finished confederacy of dunces motherfucker and here's the thing like i want to go at you so hard right now about this but i've never read confederacy of <laughs> okay see now we can bond see? <laughs> no we can't okay. it, we're, it's All past right. that time right. we had an i we get had. that it's well written and there are some genuinely funny parts to it but it just for some reason like it's the Seinfeld problem for me. Yep. I can only yep. go on any piece of literature or fiction of any kind so for so far without any character I can identify with or like. Yeah, I think that's and a good Confederacy of Dunces. There aren't any real characters oh, you're that all you can. Awful. Yeah, mm-hmm. Ignatius is pretty awful. Yeah. He's funny. He's he's awful in a funny way. As is his mother. As is the cop. As is other characters. But eventually, I'm just like. Y'all just gonna keep being awful this whole book, aren't right. you? I mean, it does what it says on the ten a little bit, right? Yeah, you know? it is. But yeah. like, and I'm okay with an anti-hero. But right. like I said, like the anti-hero needs to say something about the hero. Sure, sure. It needs to be a specific thing. And like, I get that it's a satire. I get that it's farcical. But like, I need someone to identify. It's like Gone Girl. I couldn't get into Gone Girl after a certain while. Like, oh, wow, yeah. this is really well written. This is a great book. They're both pieces of shit, and this the rest of this book is going to be a pissing contest yeah, on definitely. who could be a bigger piece of shit. And then, lo and behold, it was. Like, Everybody was a piece of shit. Yeah, and the end. Yeah. Uh, and I, I couldn't really do that. I couldn't really handle it. I so. get you. I get you. All right, number one on my list. And here's what I love about what's about, what's about to happen. Number one on my list is pretty, pretty brutal, pretty abrasive. I'm going to lose a lot of credibility with listeners for this. And then I want to come in and save you. And then you're going to come in and make me look like a fucking novice in terms of losing listeners. So number one on my list is admittedly embarrassing. I've never finished a Lord of the Rings book. Having said that, I've read 75% of The Hobbit, 50% of The Fellowship of the Ring, probably 30% of Two Towers, and just didn't fucking try on Return of the King. I'm not going to get on you on this, because here's the thing. Having read Lord of the Rings books... 
and as everyone else who's read Lord of the Rings books can attest, there are points when we all wanted to get off the boat. Oh, fuck, another song. Hooray! Like It's like Deuteronomy in the Bible. It's yeah. like the bagats. You yeah, know? you have to fucking slog through right. some right. bullshit. And no one who's read Lord of the Rings is ever going to begrudge you that, yeah. in, that in my regard. Like, no one's just like, oh, Tom Bombadil's singing again! Steve yeah, no Col- one's like, how dare you miss that, you right. know? Right. Stephen Colbert might. But you know, Stephen well, Colbert yeah. might. But so, like here, you know. So look, I know, I know that I'm in the wrong here. I totally get that. You don't need to yell at me on Twitter or Facebook about this. You're, you will, and or, I'm fine. With that. Or Patreon, or maybe. <laughs> right. Mm. Right. right. Okay, you can. Um, I know I'm in the wrong here. But what I don't want to hear in in the in the the clapback, which is what's going to happen, is what the fuck? You've never read the Lord of the Rings or the Cimmerillion? No. I haven't, and I won't read that, okay? At some point in my life, I will sit down and I will read The Lord of the Rings. But I'm not reading that next shit, okay? I'm not doing it. And don't don't come at me later. Don't send me postcards. Do people send postcards? Don't send me postcards or emails. <laughs> don't tweet me. Don't at me. No telegraphs. I'm not reading the rest of that shit. I don't want your shit. smoke signals. Right, right. I don't no want your ravens. Yeah. But anyways, I, I may sound like a monster right now, but Caleb, if you would please pull the elephant man in the room and tell the fine <laughs> folks who listen to the Mix 6 what you've not read. I don't read the Harry Potter books. I'm sorry, Caleb, could you speak up? I don't think I, the mic got that. I haven't read the Harry Potter books. You haven't read the what? The Harry Harry Potter. Look, Harry I'm Potter with novels. Caleb, and I don't give a fuck. Wait, <laughs> the thing we're about to you're about to bond over is that neither of you have read the Harry Potter don't, books. Don't put me with him. Yeah. This isn't a partnership. <laughs> I haven't read it. Like, you put you with him, Caleb. You need all the that. support you can get. Yeah, you're man. not in a position to like oh, deny. God, you just help. you, an English teacher, <laughs> yeah. just admitted that you have not read <laughs> arguably. The YA series. It's why people are the next generation is going to be literate at all is because of Harry Potter. <sighs> okay. <laughs> Am I allowed to say something? No. Am I even uh, actually? Okay. I think Please, on that note, we should, I support we you. Should Caleb. Cut the segment. We should I get more support beer. you. <laughs> We're not no, cutting. Go, this. You know what, Caleb? Go ahead. Jump in there. Yeah. Look, it's a demographic. Stuff. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm going to mock you so derisively during this, but please, just jump in I'm there. from rural Missouri, so they were published while I was in high school and middle school, but they weren't a craze. They weren't a thing you heard about at all mm-hmm. in rural Missouri until I was like a senior in high school, mm-hmm. all right? So, at that point, I was trying not to read YA stuff, because I was still secretly reading Animorph books, and I was ashamed. Tough. Uh, in addition to reading other things. So my mom said, hey, you should read these. And I'm like, ah, it's my mom. It's YA. I'm better than that. I'm going to college. And I went to college. And I didn't do it. So I wasn't part of the generation that learned to read with Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. I, it was after my time. Mm-hmm. When I was in college, I could have done it. But I was an English major. And I was reading a lot. And if you want to just like unzip them and put out our reading dicks mm-hmm. i read plenty and i and adding a 700 book of ya in that which most of my professors thought were crap and wouldn't allow me to talk about was not on my to-do list because holy shit i had to read heisinger i had to read like frederick jameson i had to read some dense dense stuff i finally got i go straight through undergrad into grad school that's six years of constantly reading everything i get my hands on and not wanting to throw 700 more pages times seven on top of that 
And then when I got out, it was too late. It was already cultural zeitgeist. There were like three movies out. Like, you couldn't admit it at that point. And by the time I started teaching, it was old news. Kids don't... I'm sorry, guys. I know it's going to crush you when you're Quidditch tournament and you're con and all that fun stuff. Kids don't give a good goddamn about Harry Potter anymore. They're on to other YA stuff. The YA's figured out the formula. That's where Hunger Games came from. That's where Twilight came from. And people don't even read Hunger Games Twilight anymore. They're on to completely different series. So, yes, I missed the boat demographically. I don't think it's she's a bad author. I don't think they're bad books. But I'm behind the times. All my friends know about it already. Now the world knows, and it's too late to take back my shame. Put that back in the box. And um, it's it's four thousand. It's like remembrance of things past, or the decline and fall of the Roman Empire would be shorter to read. And I should probably read those instead because I haven't read those either. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. so it's on my list of prison books. But like, you know, mm-hmm. if I got nothing but time, mm-hmm. you know, but. I mean, there's other stuff I want to read that isn't 80,000 pages long, and I don't think it's bad, but I, I just missed the boat. I just wasn't demographically in the right place. Are you, uh, are you done Stoke-splaining why you haven't uh, read, to be To be fair, uh, Caleb and I both read The Hunger Games. I, read, I borrowed his copy when he was done, so... I think they're basically the same, right? So and, <laughs> no, and we started reading the Hunger Games. No, I started reading the Hunger Games while I was teaching because I wanted to be better teacher. But nobody's reading Harry Potter anymore, man. They'd all read it, or they weren't going to read it at all. I I just want to say something. I cannot, in good faith, continue to do this podcast with either of you. <laughs> so I hope you've got. He's unrepentant. I, I am acknowledging I my flaws. Right. Well, it's a good thing. It's a good thing that Harry Potter is on your prison list because having not read it is criminal and on that note we're grabbing more beer we'll be back with segment three holla what you drinking i am drinking uh from scuttlebutt brewing company uh it is called porter Mm-hmm. That, that's it. Right to the um, point. Thanks, Micah. Thanks, Micah. It's out of Everett, Washington, and it's called Porter. Um, it's got a mermaid on it. Maybe search Scuttlebutt and then search through its catalog right. uh, rather than just typing Porter it's into brown. Google. Seems like they're going pretty pretty on the nose for their, their names. All the, the Scuttlebutts like, have the same label, they're just different colors. Love it. Yeah. I like the simplicity of the whole thing. Yeah. Simplicity is really the I mean, genius. I don't know if it's like a five to desert, like be the deter- the Porter. Mm-hmm. But it's a it's a solid uh, it's a solid four half blood prince. It's a half blood prince. That's great. Uh, it's pretty good. It's I pretty good. solid porter. I would, you know what? I'm going to try that. While I try that and figure out what a four porter or a forter looks like, uh, Caleb, Hey-o. why don't you? Well, yeah, why don't you tell everybody what we're talking about? Well, this is the number one pick for your segment. You guys like to hear this one? Uh, it's called "This Was a Mistake," where we have a <laughs> a, a loving read of a bad decision. Mm. And uh, this one uh, just sort of came to us naturally because we got a suggestion from Justin. Uh, Justin suggests, with fast food companies becoming more and more about gimmicky food, like KFC's Double Down, Burger King's Mac and Cheetos, and Taco Bell's main selling point now, how much is too much? Um, so I just, yeah, with uh, the names in the <laughs> title here, I, like I'm dumbfounded by some of this stuff, and I'll tell you right now, how much is too much? The answer is Burger King's Mac and Cheetos. That, 
That for me is the fucking lie. My answer was also going to be uh, too much was a while ago, right? Like right. A, a long, long time. Ago. I actually know. I, I know. Wait, what about the Taco Bell taco that is Doritos of, Locos Tacos? No, oh. no, not that one. No, because that's what the I'm one where the shell or two is fried chicken is disgusting. But that for not, me, that that does. I've had it. It's. That yeah. doesn't cross the two. <laughs> it wasn't what I thought it would be. Yeah. No, 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 no. You guys, much like you did the reading segment, you've got this all wrong. Okay, so here's the issue. For me, the how much is too much, and this is this is a moving target at best. Um, uh, the, the line for me is, am I trying to cram some other trademarked food item into my food item? And if the answer is yes, that's the line, right? <laughs> so, like, the the Taco Bell Doritos Locos Tacos, like, I've never had one. Save shipping for fan fiction, not for, you know, your palate. That's exactly right. Like, I've never had one. Stop making Batman and Professor but, X fuck in my mouth. Right. With whatever this is. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. That's exactly what it is. Taco Bell, <laughs> alternately, get on that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, that's what. Yeah. So, basically, you're the Patton Oswald uh, Famous Bowl line. Like you, you've heard the Patton Oswalt bit. On, I haven't. Okay. Oh no, I have, and that's too far. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he does a whole bit about the famous bowl. Do you remember that? No. Okay. It's the sadness bowl and the failure bowl. Yeah. It's when you give up. Yeah. You give oh, up. Okay. To get a, a KFC. Oh, so, the KFC bowl. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 So look, um, this was a mistake, and we've gone too far. Long. long yeah. Ago. Totally. I'm interested in where the mistake came from. And uh, I think demographically, I'm in a unique place to say this. So as a kid born in rural Missouri and raised in the 80s and 90s, we didn't know how food worked. And no one told us. Like, you ran your mile today for presidential fitness. Here's a soda. Like, like, have some Capri Sun. It's good for your bones. Like, no one knew how nutrition worked. Or if they did, they were actively lying to us. Mm -hmm. And we're in a phase now in society where people are starting to realize that's different however they're starting to realize that and they're educating them on it when i enter my you know 20s right late 30s the damage is done the damage is done Not coming back. um and i've learned how to eat wrong and i will be the first right person to absolutely say that yeah so you've got this world in which people are waking up to this you know fact that we're poisoning ourselves with our you know horrible processed food stuff but you also have generations that have been trained yeah. by, you know, these corporations and, you know, world food markets to eat shit. And it's a thing. I'm probably going to do it for the rest of my life well, until and, it kills me. And, you know, look, there are there are so many factors, right? Just pick a Netflix or pick a documentary on Netflix and they will tell you why people eat the way they eat, right? Yeah. It's not just, it's not just habit. It's socioeconomic factors. It's cultural factors. It's time. Yeah. Right. And so I'm not going to even attempt to get into the nitty gritty and all of the things which have caused this because I actually think the but thing. I think it's a market niche, right? Right. Like the, yeah. what, in a world where we're discovering like, oh, fuck, I got to eat kale now. Right. Why? God, why? Right. Their niche is like, all right, you're trying to do this. You're, you're trying to get better. You're trying not to eat the regular shit that we put out. So we got to entice you and make it just like a decadent, yeah. uh, you know, attack and assault on, you know, veganism and healthiest eating. And I, I think it's a lifestyle thing. I don't think it's about it tasting good. No, I it's think, definitely reactive. Yeah. yeah. I, Fuzzy Dan is a man who eats on dares. Uh, and I don't think the stuff he gets to eat in front of us on nights of podcast, like double downs wrapped in soft chicken taco cells. Right? I, I don't think he's doing that for enjoyment. Like, I, uh, it's some Guy Fieri shit. Like, I'm hearing, like, hurt in the background while it's, while it's going on. Like, 
And I think that's I think that's a lifestyle. I think that's conspicuous consumption. I think that's a lifestyle choice. Is, I don't think that's mmm, this is tasty. You know or what I mean? just pure like I give upism, like yeah, which is a lifestyle choice, right. which is like conspicuous consumption. Yeah, well, conspicuous consumption is like look how rich I. I got I a tattoo that said "Get fucked across my forehead." <laughs> that wasn't a necessity. Like it was advertising it something. Look, it about does look myself. good though. Yeah. yeah, it looks really nice. Yeah, <laughs> I you, you know I I don't think all of you are wrong. I think that there are some ideological decisions that were made. I think that there were some. Uh, you know, some life decisions, I guess, here. I, I just want to say this. I think that there's one one real culprit here, despite what all of the stuff on Netflix would tell you and all of the dietitians across the world would tell you. I think the culprit is Taco Bell, and I want to be honest about this. So, <laughs> so they're the main operator? They are. They, yeah, they're at the core, The right? perpetrator of food crime? If you were to make a heat map of where did this come from, it came from Taco Bell. Patient zero? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It is like a crimson red Taco Bell, and then like KFC <laughs> is kind of like a, a nicer shade, like a Kansas City Chiefs red, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what happened was, for some of these companies... Taco Bell, they had the same five ingredients, and that's all they had. And so they continued to repurpose those five ingredients by changing the order in which they identified the ingredient having been <laughs> added to the thing, right? So on this day... Occasionally proportions. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So on this day, it was like a refried bean, ground taco, cheese, chalupa, tortilla with tomatoes. And then on the next day, it was like tomatoes, refried beans, ground beef, chalupa, cheese. And so God, at some that point... that was impressive. Good yeah, job. Thank you. So at some point, they ran out of, uh, they ran out of ways to figure out how to continue to talk about the thing that they'd repurposed. So they started using really decadent ways, right? Like the double cheesy chalupa cheeseburger chalupa, right? And I don't know. I assume that's a Taco Bell menu. (laughs) We'll go get it after this. And so I think part of it was that the only way to continue to re-scrub the same shit you'd been re-scrubbing for Taco Bell's purposes was to use more decadent terms. And then KFC, and if I remember correctly, KFC and Taco Bell are owned by the same parent company. Yeah. KFC took the same strategy, which is repurpose everything that we have and and do the same thing that Taco Bell did, right? So instead of just moving things outside of the shell, move things outside of the bun. So take the chicken outside of the bun and turn the chicken into the bun. Yeah, I mean, I think at some point when the narrative changes to all fast food is bad for you, uh, in order to differentiate yourself amongst the market, you have to be the fast food that's worse for you. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And while that might be a good market decision, it's bad for everyone's bodies. I, I don't think it's necessarily worse for you. It's uh, the cheapest calories per dollar. Uh, I do want to. I do. Yeah. I do. I mean, that's the KFC double down you. is worse for you. I just yeah. want to say that. But I, I just want to be perfectly clear. Mac and cheese, pretty fucking cheap. Mac and Cheetos can only cost more. Well, I mean, <laughs> I would think, yeah. okay, cheapest dollar calorie per dollar. Per effort, you know, like, you know, preparing your own mac and cheese, that's sure. effort. But if you're an overworked, harried minimum wage worker, right. you want the cheapest fast food meal that will yeah. satiate, uh, satisfy your caloric needs for the day. Totally true. And I am not Because we way, live in a cyberpunk dystopia. Right. Yeah. I am not in any way decrying the choices that people make based on their socioeconomic conditions or environments. The question I is, am because I make those choices too and hate myself. You can decry your own. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I am, however, taking issue right. with, with the marketing That's decision valid. to force disgusting or not disgusting finger foods into being shells for disgusting or non-disgusting taco items. And mm. I don't think that's an unreasonable criticism. Yeah. Um, on that note, we're going to grab something else and we'll be right back.
Hey, Spencer, what are you drinking? So this is also from Sun King Brewery. Ross picked a couple of these things up while he was in any for Gen Con, yes? Uh, six total. Six total. This is the Wee Mac Scottish-style ale. So Stillwater Rule. Haven't tried it before. Going to try it live. He's taking a sip, thinking about it, reacting, um, contemplating. Yeah. So, okay. That's probably a f- probably a three for me. Probably a sorcerer's stone here. Um, it is a little. It almost has a nitro flatness to it, mm-hmm. um, which which is does a, it have nitro in it? Because no, it we shouldn't have given you that. I don't one. think it's You're nitro. I don't think it's nitro brewed, or at least it doesn't indicate to being nitro brewed on the back end. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it, it it claims to have a lot of flavor in it: malty brown ale with caramel, cocoa, hazelnut. Could be that I just ate some uh, vanilla Oreos, knockoff Oreos, but I don't really get a lot of those flavors, so I'll let you give it a shot. And while you give that a shot, I'm going to intro. I kind of want to try it too. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to intro topic for this one. So I'll uh, let Ross try it if he tells us a book he hasn't read. Oh shit! It's like a hostage beer. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Uh, Isaac, uh, Isaac Asimov at the Foundation. Okay. No, yeah, that's, can have that's reasonably embarrassing. Can have yeah, now. get in there. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and intro the segment while we talk. While, I tried. While, while Ross more. tries that beer and, and wallows in his self-pity mm-hmm. over there. Um, so uh, second pick in our floating segment vote this week was Armchair Director, where we get to talk about movies. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely, because as you know, that's probably the thing we'd like to talk about maybe most yeah. other than board games. We do like movies. Uh, and so, anyways, uh, I kind of threw this in there the other day. Uh, I, I saw the big sick with mm-hmm. my my office mates. Oh, my how was that? I want to see that. Fucking phenomenal! I really wanted to see that. I was fucking phenomenal. We, and we were going to do that or Dunkirk, and we did Dunkirk. Yeah, which I want to talk about later. So mm-hmm. we we saw the big sick, and I really enjoyed it. And in front of my coworkers, I sat there trying to, trying to hide the fact unsuccessfully that I was like kind of crying the whole time because it was just really good mm-hmm. and really touching. Uh, and it struck me that, like, you know, one of the things we haven't talked about, well, we have talked about the fact that I cried almost everything, is, like, what movies really shook us the hardest, rightly or wrongly? Babe. Okay, yeah, well, babe, obviously. <laughs> but, like, really just laid into us in some ways. Um, and and when you walked out, you were emotionally rot or emotionally enthused. And so yeah. I thought, look, we've already we've already laid ourselves bare at the mercy of the of the crowd now on books we haven't read. So why not tell them what else makes us really emotional uh, one way or the other? So what's number 3 on your list? Uh, so I interpreted this as the most emotional endings, like I got the biggest acceleration and emotional impact okay. as the movie ended. Jump in there. Um, <clears throat> so I picked 3 because uh, I don't want my list to be com- a complete downer. So uh, three for me is The Prestige, uh, specifically the first time I saw it. I, I, I did pick up on the fact that the the movie was mirroring the order of a magic trick as it went through. And uh, sort of I, I saw from the beginning it was an intricate puzzle box of a film that sure. was supposed to work out a certain way. And um, once we got to the... Bowie part, I figured out the uh, Hugh Jackman twist, mm-hmm. but I did not figure out the Bates twist. And that was enough for me that by the time we got to the end of the film, um, it was just sort of this giddiness at watching it uh, unfold, uh, as watching the time jumps that have been going through the whole film continue right. and, and continue wrapping things up and watching the whole sort of plot start ticking into place. And um, 
the fact that it didn't make sense and wasn't optimal, which is typically normal for a Nolan movie, yeah. was sort of forgiven away because it was a movie about obsession. It was a movie about not doing the rational thing right. and doing it based on like this. And then sort of watching that. And it wasn't an emotional attachment to the characters, which is what I found so odd. It was a craft attachment. It was like, holy shit, he's going to pull it off. Yeah. And that was, I remember leaving that movie just sort of like giddy and electric that like oh man that yeah. was really t- because you got to remember this is like just post batman begins nolan so right. like there's momento which i found like uh direct to video barely and never showed anywhere and then there was batman begin and then this was where i was just like holy shit movies are way smarter than i ever thought they could be yeah and way more technical and formal and elaborate than I ever thought they were going to be. And that's like pre-Interstellar and stuff, like yeah. where it's like super ambitious. Um, so I, I just felt like sort of giddy and excited that movies were a thing that year. And that was sort of the movie that like yeah. was written on my mind for that. Seems super reasonable. And in sticking with the Nolan theme, and this is like admittedly a weird choice to have it number three here. I totally get that. Um, and you've already referenced the film. So when I left Batman Begins in 2005, which I saw in theaters, AMC Theater in Independence, Missouri, AMC 20, Holla, which was a competitor of the Blue Springs 8, where I worked and spent a great deal of time with great podcast listeners, including Kevin Ellis and Jacob Brewer. Mm-hmm. Um, when I left Batman Begins, I don't know if it's because it was the first time that I was like a reasonably formed human that I'd seen 2005, what, I would have been 19 at that time, that I'd seen, like, a really quality superhero film that, like, rang true of my childhood. No, I'd seen, like, the first Burton Batman, but I was a kid, and so it didn't have the same effect. Um, You know, I was almost 20. It was a big deal to see, like, a really fucking good Batman film. And, you know, I kind of think Batman Begins gets lost a little bit because The Dark Knight was so fucking excellent. I think sometimes we forget how good Batman Begins was. Yeah, Batman Begins was... I don't know that there's a better way it to wash the taste out of Clooney nipples. It made you forget Joel Schumacher, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, which seemed impossible. <laughs> yeah, and so a travesty burned upon all of our. Minds. In terms of reboots, right? Like, I don't think it could have been better. Mm-hmm. And it was fun, and it was a kind of like a unique take on the Batman backstory. I walked out of the theater in that AMC 20 with so much energy that 19-year-old me jumped over a planter box, like, ready to go do sit-ups <laughs> and learn karate in the mountains. <laughs> like, that's how I felt after that movie. Yeah. And so, you know, is it the one that made me the cry the most or change my life the most? No, but I've left a ton of fucking movies and just been like, yeah, that was a good movie. And I left that movie ready to be a different person physically. For, you know, eight to ten hours, which is a long time for me to want to do anything different physically than what I currently yeah. want to do. Yeah. So what's number two for you? All right. Uh, so admittedly, The Prestige, I had a deep cut for that because, like, the most things that affect me emotionally are, like, horrible gutting endings. And I didn't want this setting segment to be a complete downer. Sure. But I would be remiss if I didn't mention Requiem for a Dream. Can anyone forget the first time they watched that movie? Because that's the only time you watched that movie and you never watched it again because it left you just like disemboweled on the floor. It's like flying off a cliff and then being disappointed you never hit the ground. Like that movie's ending is so bleak um, that it – I've never watched it again. Like I, I think I've seen it twice because somebody else was watching it and I was in the room because I wanted to watch the person who hadn't seen it yet. 
because I wanted to like watch their right. soul See them die. Go away. Um, and you know that was a spectacle in and of itself. But I can't you know give that to Aronofsky. Uh, but Requiem for a Dream, yeah. I mean, uh, in terms of emotional impact, it wasn't a positive impact, right? But man, it was. It left a. It left it on there. Yeah. Well, while we're admitting things, I've not seen Requiem for a Dream, and I'm not going to. I have a copy. I think. Nope. We're yep. good. Lose that. That's how Do you I feel. want the novel? Nope. Too? Nope. I don't. I don't want to. Do you still have hope for this world? It. It is one of those movies. You should get that fixed. That other people have Watch ruined for me, like this. The soundtrack's really good too. Yeah, oh, the soundtrack's amazing. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. and that's the, the that's the heartbreaking part about. I listened to the soundtrack for like six months nonstop <laughs> after I watched that movie. Did you? It was oh, how are you still alive? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, all that reading. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was busy. Yeah. I, I mean, like, yes, it it's a fantastic film, though. Like, it is engaging. You watch every second of it. It is well made. It's also not like total shock cinema. It's not like, you know, John Waters or anything. It's not like trying to, it's like... It's slow. Yeah, it's not like trying... It's inexorable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> inexorable is the word. It's not trying to shock you constantly. It's not trying to uh, just push an envelope for the sake of pushing the envelope. But, God, it's just so emotionally gutting that I can't I can't recommend watching it twice. Yeah, well, or once in my case. Um, <laughs> number two for me, and I'm pretty sure I've talked, talked about this, and maybe the first film on my list, too, a couple of times on this podcast, um, but things that just had like the most impact on me had to take a minute afterwards and just sit there and like maybe no one talked to me, take my glasses off to get the well of tears that I that I'd kind of like stored up in there as if I was hogging them for the winter. Um, Big Fish, uh, the end of Big Fish. Most men I've ever known have cried at the end of Big Fish. Yeah, but cried doesn't quite get there on this Yeah, no, one. like, <laughs> was it nasty stops? Like, no, like, I cried, like, when I really stubbed my toe. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, this was, this, Brandy at one point rolled over and asked me if I was okay. You know? It's like, huh? no, if I'm being totally honest with you, I am not fine. Uh, I wrecked. Like, uh, couldn't watch I, kind of a similar effect Wally, um, which is not on this list for me. Yeah. But both of those kind of had a tantamount effect on me, which was I need to not talk when this movie's over for a few minutes because I'm not good at talking right now, and also <laughs> yeah. because if everyone could not look at me, we would all be in better shape. I think so. Big Fish is number two on my list. What's number one for you? Uh, for me is The Mist. And here's the thing: it's not the same, though arguably way bleaker than Requiem for a Dream. It's not the same as Requiem for a Dream. I was simultaneously shocked and appalled by the ending of The Mist and absolutely fucking thrilled. Um, So, you know, at the end of every movie, when it seems like the protagonist and the rest of the crew isn't going to make it, and then they do, because that's every film ever, right? or like, it's not as bad as it seems, or there's some sort of recovery... I didn't know a movie could do what The Mist did. Yeah. And I have actually never seen a movie do it since. And I'd only seen a few movies do it before. And I remember leaving the theater just, like, giddy. And not just because, like, I love The Mist so much. I just realized, this raises the stakes now. I can now watch a film and tell myself... (laughs) Shit, it's all on the line. Yeah. They could they could go for it. They're probably not going to, but you know who went for it? Frank yeah. Darabout mm-hmm. fucking went for it. He damned the torpedoes and he did stuff that like by every market metric, by every storytelling metric was just insane. Just like don't do that 
don't do that one. And then he That's did. too. And then he did it. Yeah. So I was like simultaneously shocked and appalled, but also kind of like, yeah, yeah, it, it could. Movies could be that they yeah. could be totally unpredictable sure like that um and that's the thing and it was also like a weird emotion because it wasn't totally unpredictable i'm like mm-hmm. well they're gonna they could do this and then that would happen i'm like nah that will never happen there's no way they'll have the balls to do that and the fact that anyone had the balls to do that in such a major motion picture yeah just sort of like revitalized me sure at, at the time I totally get that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Number one on my list, so I want to tell you, when I first started making this list, number one on my list was Rogue One, <laughs> which feels like, um, feels uh, surface compared to the conversations we've been talking about, which is in some ways maybe why it got bumped totally off the list. But I don't know if I've ever, you know, giddy is a word that you've used a few times in this segment, and it's the perfect word to describe exactly how I felt the moment I saw Darth Vader start cutting bitches up <laughs> in that hallway scene yeah, for like yeah. eight seconds. Yeah. If you had to tell me I could only watch a 10-second clip over and over again for the rest of my life, it would be that thing. And I thought, that's what, that's what for me... You'd fuck up those dudes in those goofy little helmets. Right. That's what, for me, encapsulates, like, that, that's what movies do, right? That When I think of an emotional, empowering moment in a film, empowering may not be the right word unless you're a Darth Vader fan, <laughs> which, you know, you know, you're probably not on the right side there. Um uh, that that's kind of the thing that I was thinking about here. What's the thing that got you giddy? I really like that phrase. And, uh, and that did. But as I continue to kind of work through the math in my mind and think back out of all the movies I've seen and everything that, that really you know kind of got me feeling certain things, all the feels, the thing that sticks out to me as the most uh, emotionally brutal end to any film ever is St. Vincent. Uh, I... For however bad Big Fish seemed for me, like, at the end, in terms of what I looked like, like, imagine <laughs> imagine that, like, I was a little bit sad at the end of, of uh, Big Fish. I was Margot Kidder at the end of St. Vincent, okay? That's the only... I was Sybil Shepherd. That's the only explanation I have for how disparate i my emotions seemed for my human body. there's like a father-son theme in both but like while big fish is a surrogate father for the film bill murray is all of our dad right exactly and like yeah i could sort of see that it, yeah. it literally felt like an out of body the meta casting angle of it is yeah. sort of crushing yeah like i i didn't i literally did not feel like myself in how like hard i was struck by the end of that movie yeah to this day that was probably like two years ago at this point to this day i don't know what happened for me being like oh this is kind of funny and melissa mccarthy isn't just saying crude stuff she's being like genuine and human she's solid actually she's so great yeah and bill murray is just being like all sorts of uh, how i imagine like harder edge version of bill murray probably really is Mm -hmm. And then the end of that fucking movie happens where that kid talks about Bill Murray as like this, you know, kind of hero figure. And I don't know what happened, but the next thing I know, I like came back to my body and my glasses were off and like everything around me was just drenched, including my (laughs) T-shirt. And Brandy was just gawking uh, and the dog had run away. And and that I don't have an explanation for it. (laughs) But I kind of think that's, like, the value of all this stuff. I think it's cool that some things exist beyond us that can do those, those like, odd, twisty-bendy things to our emotions and our brains. Um, and Big Fish for me is the thing which has done the most twisty-bendy thing, probably. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, okay, uh, enough for us admitting all of our faults uh, and all of the ways to make mm-hmm. us feel uh, bad or good about the universe. Uh, Caleb's going to grab a beer, and we'll come back on the other side with something hopefully more optimistic and less cry-y than everything we've already done. <laughs> Juro que fico morrendo de medo 
De não chegar cedo, de nunca chegar Nos braços de quem espera Keila, what are you drinking? I am drinking... Did George and Jen bring this to us? Uh, yes, from Providence, I believe. Uh, awesome. From Providence. It's the Narragansett? Sure. Narragansett. Uh, it's the Lovecraftian theme. Lovecraft, the unnameable lager. Unnameable black lager, right? Uh, yeah, unnameable black lager. I think it has... The a, unnameable, which is a black lager. It has a... It looks like a shugath on the front. I mean... It's a great can. Yeah, it looks like a show. It's a quality can series. Yeah. Trying to live Stillwater Rule, people. He is we, uh, we thinking about it. Is, oh. it. is it un, unreviewable? Oh. No, it's reviewable, but only as a as a two. Damn, really? It's a chamber sheet. It's not oh. It's not the best lager I've I'm jumping in ever there. had. Sorry. I'm jumping into that. But again, coming from Providence, I can't blame that on Narragansett. Uh, that might be just not traveling. It feels very like long. you're giving like an Asian, maybe like a stereotypically Asian uh, sound. Yeah, stereotypically your... Providence Asian. Yeah, yeah. yeah, everyone knows that stereotype. You know, Lovecraft, that old chestnut, Lovecraft, and all of his <laughs> Asian themed monsters. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Okay. Mm. It's probably a three for me. I'm gonna be honest, but mm. it's we're same ballpark here. Okay. Um, while you drink that, uh, we're on to Ask Mixed Six. We got some good questions this week. We did. It was hard to pick. First off, yeah, it was hard to pick. And um, let me say one of the other reasons it was hard to pick is not only we get some good questions, we got a lot of questions. And yeah. so, um, like, even if we don't choose your question, uh, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you to everyone who submits them. Um, because that really is where we generate not just the Ask Mixed Six, mixed six stuff, but a lot of the other uh, the segments as well. Yeah. So, like, really and truly, thanks so much for being a part of all this. Mm-hmm. And it makes it a lot easier for us when we're prepping show notes and we like to see what you're interested in because frankly we're not that interesting and we're 20 some episodes into this whole thing so we're far less interesting than we were on episode one even how far can you push this dead weight up the hill that's right yeah (laughs) this sisyphean task of listening to us is going to run out at some point i get that so thanks for everything and this week angie h and ben w who have submitted some pretty good questions in the past too if i remember ask uh would you dissuade someone from reading or engaging in a piece of art slash entertainment you believe to be bad just absolute trash sub iron fist bad and i take i take a little issue with that condition because i don't Not know sure that that's there possible. is yeah. art sub iron fist contesting bad. the terms of the question right <laughs> even if it means potentially putting a person off engaging with that medium completely yeah and that's a super interesting question and Angie Penn did say that uh yeah the inspiration for this was being asked how 50 shades of gray was right telling someone honestly how 50 shades of gray was and then finding out that person had not read a book in like decades or something. Yeah, some some, and that some would have been the first book ever. Yeah, right. Uh, so yeah, uh, I I was very intrigued by this. I am too, and I'm intrigued for it by it for a number of reasons. But let me tell you the the thing that kind of smacked me hardest as I read this question, which is. Um, I want to, this is clear at this point to all of you that have been paying attention for any reasonable amount of time, I want to admit that like, like it or not, I am an admittedly judgy person, right? Like, I have opinions about things. Mm-hmm. If we didn't have opinions about things, this would just be competing observations. <laughs> and that would be even less interesting than what we're currently doing. You know what I mean? That would take, take some doing. That would take this whole thing from a zero to a negative one, is how yeah. I feel about that. Um, and I'm admittedly judgy, and I don't always feel compelled to not be vocally judgy and there are moments in my life where and and i think this happens more as i get older because as i get older i like to think i get more reflexive and i also recognize the impact that any one statement can have on any one human 
I try to be less vocally judgy in non-obviously judgmental formats, i.e. this podcast. Because in all instances, I don't want to, in most instances, I don't want to be the reason that someone doesn't engage in a piece of art that they really like or do something that they really want to do. I don't want to be, I don't want to be that guy that ruins an experience for somebody. Having said that, there are a lot of times where I can't help myself from not being that guy who says something negative or critical because it's my nature and I'm not being, uh, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just trying to tell people how I feel about stuff, which I probably don't need to do. And I've probably turned people off of things they would have liked in the past. And honestly, I have some fucking guilt about it now that this question is on the table. Like, I think I have probably been overly critical things of, in the past and have dissuaded people from doing from doing watching reading engaging with things that they probably would have otherwise enjoyed and and i say that not assuming that i have uh, like outsized power or influence over people just like i probably i probably nagged enough about stuff at some point in my life where people are like well i'm just not going to deal with that and that's that's garbage i yeah. shouldn't do that don't be uh, don't be well, that guy i disagree but well yeah i mean well i haven't done it to you you know <laughs> which is good news yeah so you you could disagree um, but I, I think I have. Angie and Ben's question is important. Mm-hmm. It's not have you, it's would you. So have I? Yeah, probably. And I'm not not happy about that. I look back on it and I go, okay, so I was, I was a twit at some point in my life. Um, would I now? Uh, I'd like to say no. It's hard to say no and also do this podcast. Uh, but I don't do this podcast as a way of being critical of other things or dissuading people from reading other things. I do this podcast as a way of talking to you and other people about things that I'm interested in and not interested in. Yeah. So my goal would not be to dissuade people <clears throat> to watch things, even though if you were to send back the audio of my review of Iron Fist, I probably wouldn't be able to support that yeah, in a court of yeah, law. Yeah, don't answer it. We have. Right. And frankly, I wouldn't get. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's it, right? Like, maybe I'm just not being honest enough. Like, yeah. maybe the truth is, depending on the thing, like, I haven't watched Defenders yet. You have. Um, maybe the reality is that there are some things that I think are just so bad I would tell people, like, don't do that. We'll get to Defenders. Uh, I don't think it's very good, but that's my opinion. I would never dissuade someone from watching it, though, because I don't find it offensively bad. I don't find it, like... An assault on the form. But do you feel like we actively dissuaded people from watching Iron Fist? Because that I was feel, my goal. I feel like we did. I think that's what I tried to do. You obviously did. Yeah. yeah. So here's the thing. Um, I think if you want to watch Defenders, you might be disappointed in it. But you watch the thing. It was free or free-ish with Netflix. Right. Okay, it's fine. Right. Iron Fist, I can't imagine something that would make you want to watch Iron Fist. That Iron Fist would deliver on. Like, right. not like it wouldn't, like, deliver in a disappointing amount. Like, that it wouldn't actively pervert, corrupt, and and assault. Yeah. Like, I can't imagine, like, I really like Iron Fist as a character. Right. I really like Marvel shows. Or I really like Netflix originals. I can't imagine any metric by which you came to Iron Fist. Sure. That you would leave from Iron Fist being like, well, it wasn't quite what I hoped, but at least it was that. Because it wasn't. That. Right. It was just bad. Right. It was hot ball of garbage. It, it was a hot ball of garbage. Right. Bad. Yeah. Like, so he, would I dissuade? I would not dissuade because I don't think I have the power to dissuade. Because you know what? I said Iron Fist was really bad. And you know what a lot of people did? They went out and watched Iron Fist. Sure, yeah. And they were either like, I didn't think it was so bad. Or they were like, yeah, it was that bad. Yeah. And so in some ways, I think I might have persuaded people to watch something even worse. 
Oh, yeah. No. I'm not careful. I, I might be able to persuade somebody to watch something that they're not going to or sure. read something they're not going to. I might have that limited amount of power to like put something up in its ranking that's going to do. But if you're going to do something, I mean, I'm just some douchebag with a podcast right. in rooms. I can't dissuade people of doing shit. No, like, no. No, I can't not, dissuade kids not to like do terrible nonsense right. to their lives. I definitely can't dissuade you from reading a bad book or right. like offhandedly watching a show. Like if I had the power of dissuasion, I'd be using it on like right bigger fish. The IRS, yeah, obviously. Uh, yeah. yeah. So like, I mean, would I? I am going to. So I guess the answer is yes. Uh, but at the same time, like I, I, I think I'm. I think you're giving yourself too much credit. Sure. Uh, if, like, I stopped a woman from reading forever. No, you fucking didn't. Right. She didn't read for years. Right. And the first book she wanted to read was Fifty Shades of Grey. Like, you're not responsible for her illiteracy. Like, right. Right. do not put that on yourself because it's A, false, and uh, B, you don't deserve that. Right. Uh, uh, also, if you ask my opinion, did you ask it because you want me to lie? Because if I legitimately sure. don't like Fifty Shades of Grey, yeah, there's something to that. I'd, I'd also, would her, would she be better off reading Fifty Shades of Grey? Is she going to be in a more enlightened person by reading that one book? Well, and I don't never know. Never another don't, one. That's the thing. Like, I don't want. I'm, I'm. I don't know that I'm comfortable. I don't want to guess at what would be good and bad for people. Yeah, yeah. But having said that, I do think it would be bad for you to watch Iron Fist. <laughs> I, again, I, I hate to keep coming back to this and kind of being my own worst enemy on these things. Uh, you know, I think the it's important- a powerful example. It's a powerful parenthetical. It in is this question. when you find the representative anecdote, right? Like, don't move away from it. It's kind of how I feel about this. But the condition here, worth pointing out, that I don't think we've addressed totally yet, is even if it means potentially putting a person off engaging with that medium completely. And I think that's the trick for me there. I don't think you have that power. I don't bro. think I don't think you have that power. A and B, if you don't like movies, you're not going to go watch movies. Right. If you don't like to read, you're not going to go read. And, and I would have to find something. So I, as the reviewer in this instance, would have to find something so unbelievably offensive that it would ruin the whole category of the thing in the first place. And I honestly don't know that that thing exists. And if it did exist, I would feel like let's assume for a hot second. That like that Iron Fist, which we have panned widely, and 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 frankly have used this segment as an excuse to pan continually. Again, yeah. imagine that I thought Iron Fist was so bad that not only would I not recommend Iron Fist, but I would recommend that you never watch a Netflix produced show again. I I don't I could never do that, no. let alone another television no. show again. You know what I mean? I don't know that any one piece of art entertainment would ever be so egregious to me that it it would force me to argue for others to abandon that force of that that piece that that category of entertainment and if it did then i will say that i would feel justified in trying to convince those people that it was so if something was so offensive to me that it it made me feel like i needed to encourage you to never see another film for example I would feel fucking justified in encouraging you to not watch that thing so you could watch other films. Yeah. I would feel okay in that moment, exalted even, Yeah, in what I was trying to accomplish. Because I know you will watch a film again 
but for that's right this risk you're taking. That's right. And yeah. I, I, I would frankly think that I was doing you a favor. Now, of course, I would put myself as a hero here and not a villain. Yeah. Um, and I understand that the direction of the question and, is coming from this kind of... And like, also, dissuading from is different than judging for, which I feel like is really healthy. where the anxiety yeah, comes from. Like, right. like I, I'm not a big fan of Twilight. The books, uh, and I've read the first one. Never read it, never seen it. Uh, and I read it out of a sense of obligation because, like, well, I didn't read Harry Potter. I should get what, what the kids are reading now. Oh, you didn't read Harry Potter? Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's awful, but, like, when kids read it, I wasn't like, you're an idiot. Because I didn't, I wasn't like, hey, I don't believe that because I read some horrible trash as a kid. Animorphs. Yeah. And, 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 uh, B, uh, I, I, would never say that even if I didn't believe that because I understand there's value at that age of sure. doing it. But like jumping in, if somebody's in their 30s, they haven't read a book since then. Like, you can't put that on you, man. No. Like, you, they didn't read Twilight weird, rapey SM fiction, like, right? Right, not even good SM fiction, just like rapey, gross stuff. Like, jumping in there on the value stuff, huh? Oh, yeah. come on, yeah, like. You have to sign a contract for my domestic abuse. Safe words mean nothing or only when I say so. Like, it's it's a recipe to be sex trafficked. Sure. It's not a recipe for a good time with King. Sure. Like, it's not a good book. And you're not wrong for saying it is a bad book. Or it is a bad book if you're into S&M. Or it is a bad book if you know how to read language. Because right. there are some things that are true about it. Um, but, like, why'd they ask you if they didn't want you to say that? No, I agree. I do think that if people ask an opinion, you should give that opinion outright. You know? Yeah, I wasn't walking around the street with a fucking sandwich board. Like, right. uh, you know, someone said, hey, what do you think? And then I told them what I thought. Yeah, no, that seems That's reasonable. different. Yeah, yeah, it seems totally reasonable. So, in that case, you know, have no guilt for what has happened here. Um, and have no guilt if you freely give your opinion when asked about things. And if for some reason someone abandons an entire medium because you've given a review of a specific thing, then maybe that's about them and not about you so much. I think definitely that's about them and yeah. not you so much. Yeah. Um, and on that note, it's time for one more beer, one more segment. We're going to take a little break, and we'll see you in just a second. I feel like this has been a hell of an episode for me. Just tell me what you're drinking. Let's get let's get out of this let's, piece. Let's just let's just cut I can, and run here. I can only take so much more. So this is uh, another one from Scuttlebutt Brewing Company. Which this is Micah. Yes, am I saying yeah? Is that is that who? Okay, yeah. so this is Micah. Yep, Again. Micah's from Seattle. So this is his. This stuff. is awesome. Yeah. that someone from Seattle brought us stuff, which is the coolest thing. So thank you so much. This is Scuttlebutt Brewing Company's Hoptopia. It's an Imperial IPA. And as we know, not crazy about the IPAs anymore. I imagine you were a Spencer from a different time. Right. That's right. Yeah. From two years ago, I would be just chugging this. Put your yeah. tongue in a time machine. Um, so anyways, Stillwater Roll, here we go. All right. He's taking a sip. He's sipping. He's now thinking, contemplating his choice. You see, you don't want to have dead air. That's why I keep talking. No, I, le- mm, yeah. I like that you keep doing it. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. <laughs> so I don't drink a lot of IPAs anymore. We've been over this. See previous episodes. Having said this, this one's probably a four. This is a good. Beer. Oh wow, wow, really? Yeah, it's a half blood prince. Normally, when you go the <clears throat> like, yeah. normally when that comes out, that's a that's the that's your one. That's signal. a one or yeah, two. You know yeah. what? You, but well, like that one four, that really surprised me. You know what that was? It was um, that Can was yeah, absolutely. That was me remembering like hops hit you. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, like no, there's yeah. a clearing of the throat um, from all of that that um, 
Yeah. So it is, when you think of a hop, that's what you're thinking of here. I know that hops can come in a variety of flavors, yeah. citrusy, floral, etc., bitter. Oh, no, I like that. Uh, yeah, no, this that's is... That's not so intense as I imagine a hoptopia named beer no, would be. No, absolutely not. This is not... A, what I've is heard not... is Washington hops are a little different than like what mm-hmm. we usually think of hops. Like There's a whole thing about Cascadia hops and all that shit. Yeah, it's definitely got a little bit of bitterness on it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's kind of... But not overwhelming. Like... No, there's more of that, that kind of like citrusy at the front end. Um, Hoptopia makes me think like a hop Reich that will last a thousand hop slam years. Is what yeah. I was thinking here. And, yeah. and hop happen. slam is this like this saccharine sweet bitter bitter you know glorious yeah. can. Um, that's that's not this. No, this is a kind of a light drinking, appropriately happy beer from Scuttlebutt. So good for them. Anyways, uh, Caleb, we're in drunk enough. We are. So what's uh, what's going down? So we sort of derived this from Ethan Cordray's question for Ask Mix 6, but we, we tweaked it a little bit. Yeah. So his question was about getting someone else to do intensive, in-depth research on your behalf. Yeah, the question was something like, if you could have someone else do really in-depth research. Teach so, you about something so, so you, you didn't learn, have to put in the effort. Right. What, which, what would it be? Which is yeah. very interesting. Right. Uh, but we put it back to, that's sort of a null hypothesis. Right. Like, yeah, I can't really examine what that would be. Right. Uh, so... What's the threshold in your mind? Have we tweaked it? What's the threshold in your mind for feeling comfortable forwarding an opinion position about something? Yeah. Put another way, what types or quantities of information evidence do you need before you feel qualified to taking a position? On yeah. Something? Yeah. So this is kind of an extension for me of a conversation we had on a hot, a hot takes a few weeks ago, um, which was all of the political hot takes coming out of the woodwork on the North Korea issue. Yes. And that kind of like got me thinking on this other path. Of which our decision was most of those hot takes were I heard the words North Korea. That's and right. And literally nothing else. That's right. And, and then I said something, you know, reasonably stereotypical and or racist. Yeah. Um, this one for me is kind of the logical extension of that is, okay, so take North Korea or any specific subject out of the context. Now, what is the metric? What's, what's the standard in your mind, the invisible threshold that you had to have crossed in your mind such that you're willing to say, I have enough of whatever it is I need on this topic to feel qualified forwarding an opinion on that thing in the public sphere? As if you could not tell this from my podcasting career, my metric is staggeringly low. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing. Nay, alarmingly low. Can I say the words reasonably (laughs) well? Yeah. Uh, So I I, I will say my metric is probably um, having done this on a microphone, and I've never, like, voiced this before. But I think my metric is probably try and be interesting. Sure. And it could be interesting in my ignorance by being earnest and obvious and forthright about my ignorance. Because I feel like that's very rare. Yeah. So it's like, well, I don't know fucking shit about this, but let's just talk about it in a very vocal, very public medium, acknowledging that, like, I'm probably wrong and I'm probably going to hear about it endlessly on the internet. We'll see what comes back. And we'll see what comes back of it, but let's just go for it. Or, or, like, posing a question I have no clear answer to before we start the microphone. Right. And I feel like my metric is, like, at least be earnest and honest and um, more, more willing to divulge. Yeah. about that ignorance yeah. than your typical person who responds to it with no information. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's everything I talk about. Sometimes I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's rare. I would say like the, the, at least 50% of the time. Yeah, uh, well, that's high. Okay. But it's fine. Um, sometimes I know what I'm talking about. But yeah. um, 
I, that's my metric. It's more about can I say something interesting that will provoke a further conversation? Sure. Rather than am I am I fully interested? Can Just I what, be kindling, as it were? Yeah. And to to sort of reference that hot take argument again, yeah. like the I've discovered that the thing I've loathed most on social media in the past few months is any statement whatsoever about anything that begins, well, this isn't surprising. Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised that this happened. Right. About like, and at that point, like, that is when I just get my hackles up. Because like, yeah, you're quoting sources like, oh, Charlottesville turned into a race thing. It's not surprising. Right. It's not surprising that there's all this hostility and racial things because historically it happens. And I cannot think of anything less interesting to say. Sure. Like, things happened before and so they happened again. And you took your time out of your day to go to a keyboard to tell me that history was cyclical. Mm -hmm. And, oh, my God, I'd rather you just be awfully wrong about it. I'd rather you be – I'd rather you say anything else other than, like, yep, that thing that happened certainly happened. It is what it is. Wow, fuck, you're a philosopher. I'm super impressed by – that is what gets me more than anything. Like, be uninformed in an interesting, earnest way that provokes discussion and perhaps change. Sure. Or be informed in a way that, like, persuades and is insightful and says new things. For the love of God, just don't, like, repeat a Wikipedia entry back right. to me. Right. No, I'm with, I'm with you on that. Th- this one's, like, this one's tricky for me. I, for a couple of reasons. So, and I'm, I'm vocally processing this, so we'll see what happens. Um, so, thing one for me here is that. Um, I I qualify and or condition 85% of what I say, right? Like, my modus operandi is to start something with, I'm not... Well, we tar- have to virtue signal. Right, that's right. Yeah, How yeah, else yeah. would we do it? Right, exactly. <laughs> I, my modus operandi is to start a thing by saying, I'm not totally sure, or I could be wrong, or best guess, first blush. Almost as if you weren't an asshole. That's right, yeah. I say these things... <laughs> now, to, to be fair, I probably say these things too much, right? Because like, I'm constantly admitting that I either don't have enough information, or I don't have as much information as I would like to have. Yeah, I'm not the audience <laughs> to give you that constructive criticism. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, so part of me is kind of thinking here, like, I always feel like I have enough evidence to say something because I'm always willing to qualify that I don't know if I have enough evidence to be right, right? <laughs> like, I'm willing to try. Yeah, that's yeah. the that's the pro move. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So, so kind of a shitty example. All right. So, thing one is like, I'm going to qualify the fuck out, what I, fuck out of whatever I say. And that's not so much because I don't want to be wrong, because I'm, I'm genuinely g- not all that worried about being wrong, as much as I am about saying something that is offensive or ignores, like, obviousness or truth for some other person. I, I don't want to be a huge dick about something when I forward a position, so I'm trying to say, like, I kind of think this is where I am on this bit, but if you've got more information that's relevant, that's great, okay? Thing two, my old rule on this, and I knew this to be true for a long time, especially when I was teaching, and I still feel like kind of comfortable with this rule, this default setting on this question, is what am I willing to defend? So I'm generally not willing to say something that I want to cut bait on the first time I hear a response. But if I think I, if I, if I, think I have a second level of response which could support that thing, 
So I have one counter argument yeah. in the chamber. That's right. Least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty willing to at least try it, right? Yeah, because it's a conclusion that at least has one premise. Yeah, right. Like right, right. the bare minimum of critical thinking. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it is literally not just having shot from the hip. Here is the thing. You know yeah. what I mean? Because I'm uncomfortable doing that in the first place. Yeah, I don't think even I do that. No. So I'm generally willing to say if I've got at least one more level of depth in me on this question, I'm willing to forward this idea. For the most part. And, and there are certainly instances where I have just been, you know, if I've made a, 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 an historical observation and someone says, that's actually not true, this happened. Okay, I'm not going to make a counter-argument about what historically happened. Okay, the, it, but, but that's also why I don't make a lot of historical arguments, I suppose, as it were. So, not really an issue. Uh, so, can I qualify it? As I qualified this, this very conversation, do I have what I think is at least one more level of depth to the conversation such that I feel like I could come back to the pit and offer one more thing to the conversation. Other than that, I'm willing, I'm kind of of your mind on this, I'm willing to forward a position, right, wrong, or indifferent, just to get the conversation moving in a lot of instances. Part, partially playing devil's advocate, partially playing like a little bit shit stirrer, partially just like genuinely interested in what, what one other addition to the conversation will cause the thing to do. You know yeah, what I mean? I mean, be the self, be the version of yourself you're trying to represent. Right. So be authentic in that regard. Yeah. As much as use as that term is. So, like, be in good faith. Yeah. Rhetorically. Right. And then, for love of God, don't be fucking boring. Like, yes. Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't, I don't want to use the, the experience. Like, I don't want to be like, I'm just interested. I'm just seeking a dialogue. I don't want to be like the guy constantly asks questions and like sea lions and shit. Like, even if I don't know anything, I'd rather be wrong about it and you correct me about it. And I think if you're honest with yourself, you'd rather I be wrong about it as long as I'm qualifying and acknowledging that's a possibility. Yeah. Than me just being like, well, I'm just asking questions. I'm yeah. just like, because that's, that's, that's not a, it's at this point, that's like the least ingenuous rhetorical technique like yeah when once glenn beck starts saying it you really have lost that as a rhetoric and good faith practice totally agree um i sat in grad classes with people and and as i think back on this this is probably like for me the frame of reference so you know the two types of people that i look back on in those class those seminars and i think well this was like not great one one was the constant right i'm not going to forward a position i'm just going to seek information okay well you're not advancing the conversation in some ways yeah the other was i'm never I'm just going to barrel through this thing and continue to forward things, positions, ideas, arguments. And I, I never wanted to be either of those things, but I know that more often than not for a period of my life, I was definitely the, no, I've made, a, I've made an argument, and now I'm going to stick to that argument and be an asshole about it. And that's, like, depressing. I mean, I have guilt about having been that person at some point in my life. And so now I'm at this point where it's like, yeah, just don't do that, but... But there's something to be learned from that side of the spectrum. There's something to be learned to the other side of the spectrum, too, which is know whatever you think that threshold is in your mind. Know that information that you need. And then feel comfortable putting it on the table, knowing full and well that if you've got another line of defense, you should try it. And if past that point you're just wrong, then just fucking admit that you're wrong. And, oh, look, you've learned something. Yeah, there's a happy, there's a happy medium there. And I'm not de- decrying the worth, worth of, like, a Socratic dialogue. But, like, ultimately, Socrates was the guy who only asked those probing questions and never claimed to know anything and never really got on the rhetorical field. Yeah. He only played – and you know what they did to him? They killed his ass. Yeah. They made his ass poison they, himself. Yeah. Like, so if you're just like, I'm the, they're just asking questions, like, maybe don't participate at all. Right. Like, if you're not willing to, like, get on the skin – put some skin in the game. Yeah. Maybe don't talk. Well, and you know, and like, like that's why I hate the. Well, I'm not surprised by this. Yeah, you're you're like, you, okay. Well, 
how do I disagree with you? Cool. Do I disagree with the fact that you were? I, nay, right. You were. You surprised. were surprised. I like saw I, it. <laughs> like I can't do that. Like you've completely removed yourself from the dialogue. You know, so. the, to take this kind of out of the like abstract realm, there there is some pretty interesting research on on a nugget, a version of this, I should say. Um, uh, so Google has kind of like championed this concept in the last few years of psychological safety. And it's this idea that as, as Google, and I think it was called Project Aristotle, um, was studying what makes up the, the most effective teams, the thing, the, the thing that they could land on for effective teamwork. It wasn't age. It wasn't demographic. It wasn't socioeconomic status. It wasn't race, et cetera. It was the existence of psychological safety in teams and a major tenet of – actually two tenets of psychological safety, conversational turn-taking and empathy. Both of those combined to the idea that people felt comfortable taking risks in the positions that they would forward. Mm -hmm. This has kind of become like an operating principle, right, in a lot of like organizational psychology, management, et cetera, that we ought to create psychological safety amongst our teams and our working groups and our partnerships because that's where people feel comfortable forwarding ideas, feeling no risk of backlash or judgment for those ideas, but instead open With the to the exception idea. of openly publishing a menu that, like, women aren't people. Well, yeah, yeah. It clearly didn't take root <laughs> <You> everywhere <laughs> right, at the organization. Yeah, because there was yeah. some backlash for that, <laughs> yeah. I'd heard. Obviously. Yeah. Right, in the background. For good reason, yeah. Right. Um, but, but that, for me, has always been kind of like, uh, I, I suppose, if I were to say my answer to this question is, summed up in one phrase or operating perspective. It's this notion of psychological safety. If I'm sure at, my, at some point in my life, and this kind of goes back to the have you actively dissuaded someone from reading a thing because you were overly critical or judgmental of the thing, I know that at various points in my life I have probably not created psychologically safe environments for people to feel comfortable engaging in ideological experimentation or whatever. And you know, I'm, I feel bad about that. My goal in the future is, and, and certainly my goal now, you know, as someone who works on a team and runs a team, is always to make people feel like, for the most part, there are certain instances in which I'm not for psychological safety, either because some opinions are, of my account, just bad opinions and I'm not going to entertain them. But for the most part, I typically uh, want to create an, an environment of psychological safety where I feel like people can try to forward something and we mm -hmm. can have an honest discussion about it. Yeah. Um, knowing full and well that sometimes there aren't multiple sides to a thing and sometimes shit just happens and sometimes people are wrong. Yeah, I'm not willing to say just absolutely anything. Right. But I'm willing to try to say almost anything. A lot anything. of things. A lot of Almost things. anything. Like, right. I'm really to try and say something about anything. Yeah, that seems that's totally what I'll say. And yeah. that, that's pretty much where I'm at. Yeah. And if, you know, I look like an asshole like that, well, that's just my brand. That's that's my performative yeah. identity. Like, Woo, Brandon! Yeah, yeah. Brandy. You're I mean, like, you. that's just where I'm at. Caleb's um, brand is sometimes looking like an asshole about things and not having read Harry Potter. Really, re quite a simple brand. Okay, look, the trap has been sprung. <laughs> yeah, all right, yeah. Jigsaw. Yeah. All right, I, I, I failed. <laughs> I, I appreciate life now. Are you fucking satisfied yet? Yes. All right, well, I am. Now we can leave the episode. Now, I, now that I can leave you to a Dementor, and you probably don't know what that means, you, you literary luddite. You've seen the movies. <laughs> right. uh -huh. They're in them. Uh, hey, listen. If Even you've been I know with what us those this, are. This whole time, <laughs> from the wiki. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> if you've been with us this whole time, it means that you sat through six segments of whatever this was that we call the Mix Six. And thanks so much for doing that. Also, if you're one of our patrons who has contributed to the fact that now anybody who wants to can get all six of these segments, including Drunk Enough, which we've just recorded, 
then thank you so much for your support. And if you're not a patron, you're just here for a free ride, that's also cool because we appreciate you taking the time just to listen to whatever it is we are talking about. Um, if you're not following us on Twitter, check us out at The Mixed Six. Don't forget to look at facebook.com slash The Mixed Six. We have a group and a page. Also, you can check us out on our website, www.themixedsix.com, and on Patreon. Just search for The Mixed Six and feel free to support, subscribe if you aren't already. We would certainly appreciate it. Also, be on the lookout for future updates uh, about a party foul, party foul, our upcoming game. And if you've not bought Quack, Red wow. Markets, be on the lookout because Red Markets is coming, people. Mm-hmm. That shit's getting printed, and Caleb would appreciate it if you'd buy it somewhere. It would be swell. So, buy his book. Okay, that was producer Ross. It, really, not a great episode for producer Ross all the way around. I think uh, we agree on that. <laughs> so, hard disagree. Probably inappropriate. Hard no. Probably inappropriate for him there. Thanks for everything that you do. Thanks for all of your support and for sticking with us this whole time. Once again, this has been The Mix 6. I'm Spencer. I'm Caleb. And we'll see you next time.
Thank you.